The Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition presents Prostate Cancer, One Man's Journey, a special podcast series featuring Michael Despezio, who shares insightful experience in dealing with prostate cancer, from his early diagnosis to medical options he undertook to how his quality of life was affected. Michael is a writer, TV host, and science educator who's co-authored over 60 science textbooks used in K-12 classrooms. He's chronicling his journey with prostate cancer in an effort to help others. Michael, I want to talk with you about a very important issue, shared decision-making. But there's one thing that uh, we left on the table that I wanted to have you define. It's a, it's a funny-sounding word, but it's an important word. It's Kegels, K-E-G-E-L-S. What are they, and uh, how does it relate to you? Uh, hang on a second. I, I'm doing mine right now. As we speak. <laughs> As we speak. You cannot tell. These are pelvic floor exercises. And what these exercises do is that they improve your continence. And even before surgery, I was doing Kegels. I would do a number of them. Women are generally more familiar with Kegels because there is higher levels of incontinence generally reported in females. And what these exercises, I might add, easy-to-do exercises involved with a male is, do you know the feeling you'd get if you were in the bathroom and somebody just barged in and you need to shut off your peace stream? Yes, I do, unfortunately. Yes, it's happened. (laughs) Well, that is, those are the muscles that you would engage when doing a Kegel. So when you do a Kegel, you kind of close down everything just like that, hold it for five seconds or 10 seconds, then relax. Then again, hold it for 5, 10, and you would do 20 of these, and maybe you would do three times a day. The actual number really varies upon what the practitioner or what the organization suggests. Mm. However, what it does is it improves your control over urinating. That's perfect. I'm glad we straightened that out, and uh, I'll be practicing just because I can now. Hang on. Seven, (laughs) eight... It's good to laugh. It's very important. It's part of the healing process. So let's talk about something that is so important in the decision-making process, and that's shared decision-making. That's the actual term we're going to refer to. And uh, how does it impact this whole experience, and why is it so important? It's critical because there are so many decisions that need to be made. And the decisions need to be made on what's called evidence-based decision-making. Not how somebody feels, not what somebody thinks, but tell me, what is the evidence? Why should I do this? Why should I not do this? The concept of shared decision-making means that you're, you're not passive. A physician isn't telling you, this is what you're going to do, and this is what I think, yada, yada. You are part of that. You're part of that for many reasons, and one of those is that nothing may be clear-cut on what the results that you're going to experience will be. That, look, you may get this improvement, but, you know, you may get these side effects. It's kind of, whoa, what am I going to do? And you don't want someone to tell you that. You want to be part of that. And the only way that you could become an active and valid partner in shared decision-making is to become informed, which means that you need to read, you need to find out much, much more about prostate cancer and what your choices would be depending upon where you are in that part of the journey. If there is a bright side to this, and there is so much that isn't bright about getting this diagnosis, it's that for the most part, uh, the prostate cancer is a slow-growing cancer if, if it's growing at all. And that gives you, the man in this case, the decision-maker, 
more time to research. So in other words, you don't want to rush the ball. You want to make sure you you take your time because you might have that time. In, in most cases, you will have that time. Yeah. In most cases, the cancer will advance so slowly that it won't be an issue. You won't die from this disease. You'll die from other things. However, in some cases where you have high-risk cancer or the cancer is likely to advance to high risk, then your time needs to be a little bit more restricted. You need to act. But make sure that before you act, you are informed. So let's focus on treatments. You've mentioned three before. Active surveillance, radical prostatectomy, and radiation, which is often accompanied by hormone therapy. But what are focal treatments? We'd like to know what they are and and why they could be so advantageous going forward. Focal therapies are focused and concentrated on the tumor itself. This approach is in contrast to a radical prostatectomy, during which the entire prostate gland is surgically removed, although only a small part of it may be cancerous. One of the issues is that when removing the entire prostate, you also cut out a set of muscles that work as a valve to control the stream of urine. Although you have backups, including a second backup valve that lies just below the prostate, this may not be as effective, resulting in a percentage of post-surgery patients having varying degrees of urinary incontinence. Plus, when removing the prostate, the procedure may damage nearby nerves that control erections resulting in ED. So basically, by using a focal therapy approach, you can reduce the collateral damage associated with a more radical and widespread method. However, like many of the treatment options, there is controversy since if you opt not to remove or ablate the whole gland, undetected cancer that was growing in other parts of the prostate might remain. Plus, you need to realize that although these treatments are available, they are not for everyone. Currently, they're mostly reserved for very localized and low-risk cancers. So how do you destroy, or should I say ablate, the tumors? There are several methods used for ablation, some of which have been around for a while. One of the most common methods uses cryogenics, very cold temperatures, to freeze and kill the cancerous tissues. You may be familiar with cryogenic procedures that are used by the dermatologist to get rid of certain sorts of um, external skin defects. Now, the process when it comes to addressing the prostate cancer is called cryoablation for obvious reasons. And it has been used mostly as a secondary treatment where cancer has returned following radiation. Basically, hollow probes are inserted into the cancerous region. Then a freezing substance uh, such as argon gas flows through the probes and the intense cold freezes and destroys the cancerous cells. There's another option you wanted to share with us, Michael. It's called HIFU. HIFU, and that is spelled H-I-F-U, which stands for High Intensity Focused Ultrasound, is a procedure that is targeted or a focal tumor treatment. It is minimally invasive, no surgery involved, Instead, a probe is inserted into the rectum. This probe generates a highly energetic beam of sound energy, strong enough to heat up targeted prostate tissue to a high enough temperature that kills the cancer cells. 
Currently, like other focal therapies, HIFU is mostly intended to address lower-risk cancers that are confined to the very local region. There are several other minimally invasive treatments that offer additional treatment options, so do the research and talk with your caregivers about what is best for you. It's a good time to mention, if you don't mind, a chart that you showed me that is right here, prostate cancer's five-year relative survival rates. We have to put everything into perspective. Here it is, 2022, as we're recording this. This is uh, surveys based on men diagnosed with cancer between 2011 and 2017. Tell me what that says and why we should be heartened by these. Before we get to that data, we can't forget that prostate cancer doesn't have a set rule book. It behaves differently from person to person, which makes it difficult to predict how it will progress and how it will respond to treatments. In fact, following definitive surgery or radiation, a large percentage of men, perhaps as many as 40%, will at some time present a rise in PSA called a biochemical recurrence, indicative that the cancerous cells may still remain. And in a percentage of these men, it will advance to metastatic cancer. So even though those whose early screening results triggers a definitive treatment, they're not guaranteed that the cancer will be cured. That's the sobering part. Now, let's get on to the good news. Certainly ready for that, Michael. Prostate cancer is a very slow-growing cancer. And in most cases, this isn't the thing that's going to kill you. You're going to die from in a car accident. You'll die from other types of, of diseases. Uh, now, these numbers that I'm going to mention really look at five-year survival rates. So looking out five years, seeing how these men have survived. If it's local cancer, which means that it's contained to the prostate. It hasn't gone out. It hasn't spread into the region, mm-hmm. but it's there. The five-year relative survival rate is greater than 99%. I like those odds. Let me say that again. Greater than 99%. <laughs> Very good. Now, say the cancer is a little bit more advanced. Say it's gotten a little bit aggressive and has already escaped from the prostate, has gone beyond the prostate capsule gone beyond the exterior of the prostate and enters into the region of the pelvis. Well, the five-year relative survival rate for that is greater than 99%. Excellent. I know. The odds are are in our favor. That is why I said it was so important, important that we have early treatment, that we find out what is going on, early detection and screening. Mm. Because if you wait, if instead we see that the prostate cancer has spread to distant sites. It is metastasized, and there are distant sites in the body. Often it will be bone, it will be distant lymph nodes. Then we have a five-year survival rate of 31%. Mm. You're dropping from more than 99% survival to 31% survival when the cancer extends from the region or travels out from the region to more distant spots. Well, I think it's important to conclude this episode with that news because that sums up the the whole reason we're doing this. I love the the first two examples in that chart because that tells you the great benefit of doing what you're suggesting and getting screened. Exactly. Michael, you look great. <laughs> I I toast you, I salute you, and I love your enthusiasm, but really appreciate your uh, your professionalism and your knowledge. And I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. 
The topics discussed on this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be used to make medical decisions. Every individual has unique circumstances which will influence their medical care and the application of scientific literature should be interpreted within the context of your general health. Please consult a doctor before making any clinical decisions. You've been listening to a special series, Prostate Cancer, One Man's Journey with Michael Despezio. For more, visit the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition website, masspcc.org. Again, you can subscribe and download our regular podcast series, Prostate Cancer and You, available on all major podcast platforms. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.